and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, to the, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the reading of God's Word. May God bless it to our our hearing, our understanding, and our transformation. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we bow before you, helpless, Lord, except by your spirit to do anything good with this word. Oh, Lord, uh, take it and use it in our lives and cause us all the more to welcome Jesus into our lives and, Lord, to walk in his way to reach the, the people of this dark world with the same love with which Christ has reached us. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so back in 1976, it was June 27, when Air France 139, headed from Israel to France, was hijacked. And it ended up in Entebbe, Uganda. Uganda, uh, where Idi Amin at the time was ruling. The, there were 248 passengers, and one of the first things they did was separate out all the Israelis and the non-Israeli Jews into one place and everybody else in another. And over the next two days, all but the Jewish people were allowed to leave and were taken to Paris. The actual crew of uh, Air France stayed with them because they wouldn't leave their passengers. Then on July 4th, when we were celebrating, or about to celebrate our 200th birthday as a nation, it was found out that a, a commando operations group from Israel had, uh, it was under the uh, uh, command of Jonathan Yanni Netanyahu, it, in a brilliant operation, rescued those hostages. They lost four hostages. One soldier was killed. It was the leader himself, Netanyahu. These people lost under threat of imminent death were nonetheless rescued by this courageous deliverance. And in this passage, Jesus' whole mention, his whole mission on earth is summarized in verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. So Jesus then and until now continues Into the future, his one mission is to seek and save the lost. It is a worldwide mission that spans history. It is what Jesus is doing. It is then who he is. 
And so our title then, Jesus Seeks and Saves the Lost. And we begin first with this particular one who is lost, Zacchaeus. And you see how he's introduced actually in the original, the word behold is there in verse two. And so it has this feel about it. So Jesus is passing through Jericho and there was this guy named Zacchaeus. You know, it's, it's catching you with this guy, this uh, effect of this person that appears. He's a chief tax collector, we read. A lot of commerce passed through Jericho and the custom tax on all those goods uh, made a lucrative source of revenue for the Roman government. And of course, Jews who were tax collectors were basically regarded as traitors to their own people because they were in collaboration with the Romans in league against their own people to wrong them. They were regarded as low life, known to take more tax than they were supposed to, universally despised, and Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was a district manager over the tax collectors. He took a cut from all those under him. One person called him the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. He would be considered the worst of all of the tax collectors. And he got really rich, but he was really hated. He was king of the hill financially, but it was really a dunghill as far as the Jews were concerned. And his small stature is really a picture of his small stature among the Jews themselves His littleness was more than physical. Zacchaeus was regarded as a nobody. And so that day, it wasn't just that he was small that he couldn't see, because if he was loved by people, they'd let him get to the front of the line, right? But he was hated, and the language itself shows that the crowd wouldn't allow him to see. You can imagine the delighted revengeful exclusion of Zacchaeus by the crowd. You can just imagine their jeers and mockery and their name calling, you know, as they close ranks and he can't get in. No dung allowed here was their attitude. But Zacchaeus is curious. Uh, Maybe he had heard of the miracles of Jesus The whole town was buzzing about Jesus, and perhaps he had caught wind that unlike any other rabbi, this one was actually eat with tax collectors. Who is this guy? Apparently, he he had to see who he was. He planned to just watch him from the tree, right? To run ahead, get an eye on him, get a good look at him as he walked by, and that would be it. Jesus wouldn't even see him. That was the plan. But Zacchaeus, that's what you were seeking. But you're not the only one seeking that day. Just earlier in chapter 18, Jesus delivered a man who was lost in blindness and poverty. And here, Jesus comes to deliver a man who's lost in wealth and corruption. 
Zacchaeus is lost, but Jesus has come looking for him. So Jesus seeks point number two. Zacchaeus is lost, but Jesus seeks. This whole passage is about Jesus moving into Zacchaeus' life. Jesus takes the initiative. If he had just walked by, that would be the end of the whole thing. And Jesus says to him, I must stay at your house today. It's a a divine necessity. That's what that little word indicates. It's essential for his mission to come to Zacchaeus' house. This mission of seeking and saving the lost. You see? I must. This is what I'm here to do. This is what I am about. And I must come to your house. When he says I must stay, it indicates perhaps even a couple of days of remaining at Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus was apparently immediately overwhelmed with the kindness and graciousness of Christ. He was hoping to see him, but now he is seen by Jesus. I mean, really seen, right? Addressed by Jesus. And Jesus' offer to come to Zacchaeus' house is like an open embrace and welcome of Zacchaeus. Gracious and kind Uh, acceptance of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus must have been stunned. You you, you want to be with me? You'll have me? You'll eat with me and stay with me? You're concerned about me? You, You care about me? And so he eagerly hurries down and gladly receives Jesus into his home, so convinced of Jesus' goodness and love. It's interesting what Matthew Henry writes, uh, that Jesus opens the heart and inclines it to receive him. That's what Christ does in our life. He opens our heart and inclines us then to receive him. And then Henry says, he brings his own welcome. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what each one of us must pray. Oh, Lord. In my heart, bring your own welcome. Come into my heart and incline it to welcome you and open up to you and receive you gladly, even as Zacchaeus did. This joy of being addressed by Jesus However, the crowd took no joy in it, right? They were not impressed with Jesus' plan to stay with Zacchaeus. For these people, any association was unthinkable, much less sharing a meal, living in his house. This implies acceptance or even kinship. It implies association with his crimes. How could Jesus reach his hand into the dung heap? That's the kind of thing they're thinking. How could you do that? How could you stand it? How could you stay with the, in the house of a man this 
disgusting. They liked Jesus' miracles, but they didn't like his personal associations. And, of course, we can ask this of ourselves. You know, we we may be the crowd here in many ways. You know, do we follow Jesus? Are we, because to seek and save means association and friendship and relationship with unbelievers. Purposeful effort to be with unbelievers of all kinds. Not to share in their sin, but to allow them to share in the love of Christ with us. And we don't know how many are like Zacchaeus, curious and interested, but they've never had a place to ask questions. They never had a place to explore, to discuss as friends, to be accepted and cared for as they even find out anything about Christ. Where are they going to have that? If it's not with you and with me, imitating Jesus, can we give people that opportunity? Are we just writing people off by not even trying? And how do we deal with those of low status in our society? You see, even though he was rich, even though he had a lot of stuff, He was hated. He was low life in this society. The last person in the world you want to associate with. Are we dealing with those of low status? Are we going after them? How do we regard them within our fellowship? Do we value them and delight in them? Do we value conversations to learn from them, to submit to them, to honor them? Are we experiencing joy and liberty and refreshment in these adventures with people of little status? Or do we gravitate always to people of status? Do we envy other churches that are rich with people of status? Or do we follow Jesus? Do we follow Jesus? Jesus seeks. Zacchaeus is lost and Jesus seeks him out. People are lost and the people of God seek them out. That's what we do. That's our joy. That's our liberty. And Zacchaeus, thirdly, is transformed. Now, this is a real curveball if you've been reading Luke up to this point. Because in chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable of the rich fool who keeps building bigger barns, has no regard for God. And then one day he dies and he loses everything in this life and the next. It's gone. Rich fool. Later in chapter 16, he has the parable of the rich, the rich man and Lazarus. Where he totally ignores this impoverished, crippled man at his gate. And then ends up suffering forever in Hades. The rich man and Lazarus. And then in the chapter right before, the rich ruler who walks away from Christ. Who will not give up his wealth to have Christ. So the 
uh, history of the rich people so far has, has not been great, right? The track record of rich people has not been great. And so this is a curveball that on the one hand, he's a tax gatherer and we've seen them respond to Jesus and seen Jesus eat with them, but not the rich people. So he's blowing our categories. He said, you'll never, you never know who Jesus might say. You never know who Jesus will go after. It could be anybody that he might call to himself. And when that rich ruler of the last chapter walks away, Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But here with Zacchaeus is the impossible. The camel passes through the eye of the needle. And when it says that he stood and said, I line up with those who, uh, who would say that this is probably after some time of being at his house, perhaps for a day or two. And this probably likely is at the end of a meal. And he stands up after this association with Christ, after Christ sharing with him about the kingdom of God, the good news of forgiveness and he then says what he does about his wealth. He announces the new life that he's now going to be living. The difference that he is going to make in people's lives in verse 8. And he uses the present tense here. They, it's a little confusing because it almost sounds like I've always been doing this. I'm already doing this, but it's called a present resolve. That is this from right now forward is what I'm going to be and what I'm going to do. There's no waiting. (laughs) This is who I am now. This is my new life starting now. I'm already committed to do this. And it's not a different line of work. Even doesn't even abandon being a chief uh, tax collector. But now it's going to be a life of abundant generosity. Now there's not going to be any defrauding of people. In fact, he goes overboard and says, I will return four times what I have taken. And it's a mammoth task. Imagine finding one guy and assessing that I took a dollar from you, uh, stole a dollar from you every month of the last month. Let's see, that's uh, $12 times four. Let's make it 50 bucks. You know, (laughs) that's one person. And he's going to search out all the people that he's defrauded. First half of his money goes away to the poor. The largest portion in the Old Testament would be 20%, but he's going to give half of it. And then with the remaining money, he's devoting to paying back four times anybody that he's defrauded. Acting for justice in all that he has at this point. And so instead of taking advantage of people to build his wealth, now he's going to be serving people with his wealth, working for restoration. It's like his great thank offering to God and gratitude for what you've done for me. I will pour myself out for the good of others. What an evidence of his repentance, of the turnaround of his life. This is kind of a class action suit that he takes upon himself. You know, you get that thing in the mail, you know, Verizon or Capital One has 
been naughty in some way and all these tons of people are going to get a check back and a few weeks later you get your check $3.98, right? That was, that was fantastic. But here he is enacting the class action suit against himself, right? He initiates it and he carries it out. Whoever I've defrauded, I will restore it. And so Zacchaeus is transformed. His whole attitude toward people and wealth is transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. Life turns upside down, really right side up for him, right? He sees reality in the reality of Jesus Christ. And so we say in the last place then, as Jesus announces it in verses 9 and 10, Jesus saves. He announces that salvation has come to this house because of the evidence of that salvation. The the evidence of, of the show of the new character that Zacchaeus has. And he he brings up the fact that he's a son of Abraham. And just because he's a chief tax collector doesn't mean he's still not a son of Abraham. The kingdom is just as available for him. He's a son of Abraham. He's a part of the people of God. Why not him receive the promised blessings of the grace of this kingdom? He has the rights to the promise like anyone else, no matter what kind of sinner. It is for you. It is for you. And this is so encouraging to any one of us, no matter our condition, no matter who we are. It is not so much either that we are seeking Jesus. Jesus seeks us. Zacchaeus was on this quest, but really it was Jesus that was on the quest. It reminds me of a song we used to sing at uh, RYM. It uh, had new music, but it's an old hymn. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. That is, as he was seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. Thou didst reach forth thy hand and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. T'was not so much that I took uh, uh, on thee took hold as thou, dear Lord, on me. And then he stretches it even further back. I find, I walk, I love, but oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For thou were long hand beforehand with my soul. Always thou lovest me. That's why Zacchaeus was transformed. Because Jesus loved him beforehand. Jesus was looking before him. Jesus was coming to save him. Because he seeks and saves that which is lost. And if you've come to Christ, it's only because Christ came for you. It is his love for you, not your love for him. As John wrote, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. And it's amazing that Jesus uses this phrase, son of man. 
It's his favorite designation for himself. And it seems to indicate his statement that he's a real human being, but that's not it at all. He takes this phrase from an Old Testament book of prophecy, Daniel chapter 7, where we read that one came on the clouds of heaven like a son of man. This is a vision. Comes in the clouds of heaven like a son of man. There's the phrase. And he comes up to the ancient of days that represents the father and was given dominion and glory and an everlasting kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. So this term son of man is a regal term. It's a term of kingship, of ultimate kingship over all the nations of the earth. But what did the Son of Man come to do? What is the orientation of this glorious one? Not to do harm, but to seek and save the lost. And this is the last event before he enters Jerusalem. And with the parable that follows, this is the climax of the travel narrative that Luke has been engaged in since chapter 9, moving toward Jerusalem. And so the orientation is uh, is toward what's about to happen, where Jesus will die on a cross for sinners. And so we read this glorious one who's going to receive kingdoms. Seeks and saves that which is lost through dying for them. Through dying for them. That's why in Revelation, there's this amazing scene where the unfolding of history is regarded as this rolled up scroll. And the question is asked, who is worthy to unroll the scroll. What he means by this is who is worthy to rule the history of the world? And who is worthy? His name? The Lamb. The Lamb is worthy. Where is worthiness to rule the world gained? Through death, through sacrifice, through love. Not ultimately through power. But through love. That's God's estimation. That's God placing this glorious human being on the throne to rule all things as the God man because he died for sinners. That's the glory of his person. This glorious son of man. And so if Zacchaeus would stand amazed that he would come to dwell in his house, won't we stand amazed that he would die for us? This glorious son of man, this king of all kings, you mean you suffered and died because you wanted to have me knowing all that I am? Knowing what I am, what I've done and said and thought, and you died in order to have me? That's the wonder of the glorious good news of Christ. And the question is, will you receive him or not? Will you gladly 
Invite him and welcome him as Zacchaeus did. And whatever your status, whatever your life of sin, he's ready to have you. Because there's only one person of any status, of true status, and that's Jesus Christ. None of us have any status, you see. Our only status can be had in Jesus Christ. Our only standing with God can be had in Jesus Christ. All of us are outcasts. All of us by nature have no earning, no deserving to be in his presence, to live in the new creation, to have fellowship with God, to have any part in God's kingdom. Jesus alone has that status He alone can bring us into that society to hold court with this king, to walk in his circles, to sit at his banqueting table. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And we are all even (laughs) in needing the forgiveness, the righteousness, the standing of Jesus before God. And so we have the privilege being those who receive this Christ then in turn to befriend those outside to invite them as Jesus has invited us to befriend them as Jesus has befriended us To show hospitality to them as Jesus has shown hospitality to us. He catches us up. As he rescues us, we are rescued for this glorious fellowship of his people. This glorious worship of God that breaks out into welcoming more and more and more people. As we ourselves seek and save that which is lost. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we praise your great name as you are revealed to us here as the one who seeks and saves the lost. Here, Zacchaeus, but how many millions and millions throughout history and you're continuing today, every day. Oh, Lord, even now we pray, seek and save those who may be lost this morning. Bring to their hearts your own welcome, Lord. Cause them to open their hearts to receive this Christ, to know his forgiveness for all their sins and the restoration he brings into intimate fellowship with God himself. Oh, Lord, work in the hearts of people even this morning. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.